submitted for your consideration. Man has always challenged nature, thinking that they contain the elements. But what happens when nature changes the rules and fights back? This is a Nature vs. Man 2 for one literary licensed podcast episode exploring science fiction and horror and weighing the outcomes of a dying planet with your co-hosts Keith Chapel, John Wilson, Vicki Ray, and Jesse Fultz. Man will forever be changed. Nature License Podcast, and it's our Nature versus Man episode, where we're going to be discussing Mad Max from 1979 and Mad Max from Fury Road from 2015. And before we get started, let's find out who's with us. We have special guest, C. Derek Miller, or Chad. Hello. <laughs> How's it going? Good to be back. <laughs> going good. And we have Joe Rendazzo. Hello, Joe. Hey, everyone. Glad to be back as well. And John Wilson's back for his normal monthly episode. Hello, John. Hi, folks. And I'm Keyshawn. Before we get started, let's find out what we've been up to. So starting with Chad, what have you been up to since last time we spoke to you? Man, I have been dodging bullets from the release of my splatter western, Starving Zoe, with Death's Head Press. Uh, it's been a very divisive novella, actually. Uh, it's touched some people in the wrong places. <laughs> but it's it's touched some people in the right places, too, because it's selling like hotcakes. I'm, I'm really in, enjoying it, so... Uh, that working uh, working on a Netflix series right now with a with a retired Fox producer, so uh, hopefully nice. hopefully things will go well there. That's great, good news. What about yourself, Joe? What have you been up to? Uh, finished a couple uh, finished a couple of screenplays, and lately I've just I, I started a couple more, and I've just been. For whatever reason, I've just been in the mood to just watch a lot of Hammer films. So I've been doing that like late at night. I'm up till three, four in the morning watching like two or three Hammer films every day. And I, it's just I've been in the mood for it. So I've just kind of been binging those. And uh, just uh, last night was up late watching uh, The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. So I've been uh, I've been kind of just enjoying my my time off. And what about yourself, John? I have been in the throes of trying to buy a place in Jersey, and it's such a fun process. I say it with so much sarcasm, <laughs> um, but uh, when I'm not, you know, pulling my hair out trying to figure the numbers out, uh, I have uh, caught up with Wandavision. Actually, no, I have one episode now because it's, uh, it's in a. Um, it's, fun, it's so funny how people hated it at the beginning, and now people are like, "Oh my god, this show is amazing!" I'm like, uh, "How did you pivot so quickly?" Uh, and I've also been playing um, Phoenix Immortals Rising, which is a very fun uh, Greek mythology, almost like Breath of the Wild type game. Really, really fun. You would love it, Keith. I don't know if you if you played it yet, but it's it's almost kind of like what I've been told. It's like Valhalla and God of War and Breath of the Wild like combined together as a as a game. Okay. It's really fun, and they have all these expansion packs coming out. I just finished it, but then there's like three different characters and stories that are so for the first time, I think they're actually going to evolve this into other different types of platforms in order for you to play in, in sort of the uh, Greek Roman. And then you have like the, the uh, ancient samurai, like gods and wars and all that type of thing too. So bringing that in. So fun. And myself, um, well, I'm starting on the whole campaign of promoting 
my game that's out on the 21st of June, 2021. Woo-hoo! Buy it on all platforms, Xbox, Yay! PlayStation, everywhere. Um, Back for Blood. So I start that. I got a bunch of interviews. I got being interviewed by Xbox Magazine and PlayStation Magazine this weekend. So nice. Congratulations. I don't, yeah, I think I'm just going to wing it. Let's see what, what kind of crap comes out of my mouth there. <laughs> um, Those are the best interviews. It's <laughs> <laughs> quite cool. But um, besides that, um, not much really. Um, just want to say thank you to Anne and the Apocalypse for giving us a shout out for um, apparently our podcast has helped. We weren't the main reason, but we helped get them on Netflix in the UK, going on the US Netflix next month and internationally the month after that. Yay. So Anne and the Apocalypse awesome. can be found on Netflix. So congratulations. Woo-hoo. It also helps that it's a damn good movie. Yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. I hope, actually, I hope it actually helps them relight a fire there because I hope that they do a sequel or a prequel or something fun. You know? Well, what they were talking on um, when I talked to um, Barry um, a couple weeks ago, he was basically stating that um, because um, it's getting quite a little cult following, it's only been on a couple weeks and it's actually in their top 10 over here already. And Netflix is now looking back at it as being a series. So that, that's, that's, that, that might be back sense. on the boards for them. That'd be fun. I also was like, I don't know if I mentioned this on our podcast, but it'd be interesting is, you know, how Anna was always wanting to go to Australia. Remember whole, their whole, the beginning was her trying to leave to go. It'd be hysterical that they kind of get this under control and they go to Australia and this happens again and do a whole series about her. Like, oh God, not again. Like this is this happened again, you know, Anna on vacation. What are, you know... <laughs> Well, the composers have now signed another um, contract for the second series of the new Animaniacs series, because I guess nice. they were quite impressed by their music that they wrote for the, the new series, that they've now signed them for another series. And so that's quite good. So they're oh. quite happy. And besides that... Avoid um, Depp jokes. Excuse me? Just try to avoid the Johnny Depp jokes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I think, well, other than that, I've been watching, I actually started watching Vampire Diaries. I've been, I've avoided it for like the play because I thought it was a bit more like Twilight. So that's the reason I was avoiding it. But I actually was quite impressed. I'm actually quite digging it at the moment. So nice. I'm enjoying that. One Division, I've been watching that. I have to be like most of the other people. I'm not a Marvel fan. I'm not a Marvel comic book person so i haven't so i didn't know who these characters were so what so i went into wanda quite cold and that's what they say after the the first two or three episodes and once it once it hit that after that point and then i did a little bit of research about what this is about and then all of a sudden like i got into it so but i'm actually really enjoying it so i'm glad i stuck with it yeah. it was the same i've always I've always been more of a dc fan than marvel with the exception of maybe the wolverine and i really didn't know who these characters were and I just I went into it blind and but just tried to keep an open mind because uh, I I'd, I'd heard through spoilers that it was it was a little wacky in the beginning and uh, I haven't watched today's episode either I'm I'm in the same boat with you yeah but mm. everything I've seen so far is fan freaking tastic I think between that and the Mandalorian Disney Plus is going to continue to get my money for a very long time yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking forward to like Loki Loki looks really good it looks like different and then there's a series uh an animated series called what if and it's like it's all these different scenarios of like what if captain actually died and uh agent carter becomes captain america but she goes to she goes back to london and she's like so it's all these what if scenarios of anime which looks really good i've been asking myself why i keep netflix and i'm kind of sort of working for them so maybe that's a good idea (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, I, I, for me, Netflix still pulls it out of the bag. I think for me, the weaker of all, I think the online ones probably has Amazon. They've still got a long way to go. Yeah. If it wasn't for the boys, um, I probably would have not be watching it. Um, Dark Shadows, because we are covering that in our podcast. And that, I, that's, I know I have all of them on DVD. It's just so much easier just to stream it than get the DVD sound, start sliding them into the machine sort of thing. Right. Which is more of my laziness. But Disney Plus over here um, um, in the UK is now bringing on Hulu and Stars as part of the package with no extra cost. So that was quite good over here. That's nice. nice. Yeah, so they you know, so we'll be able to have the X Files on streaming and all the other classics. They seem to be there's a there's expanding a movie that, in this country. There's a movie on Netflix I forgot to mention too that I watched called A Monster Calls, and I and I remember seeing like a brief trailer about it. It is r- so good and it's gut wrenching. By the end of it, you're just I mean, I was sobbing. I told my friend, "Thank you so much for making me watch this movie because I'm now bawling my eyes out." But it's it's such a fantastic movie. It's it's about a boy and, and he gets visited by this big monster and it, he, he tells him three stories, but then he makes the child tell, it's almost like never ending story in a way, the way it's told, but the animation to it and the way the themes to it, I mean, just check it out. If you have time, it's really, really well, well done. Where is that? It's on Netflix. It's on, it's, uh, it's, yeah, I don't. I, I feel like I know the mom who's in it, who the actress. I have to go back and look who it is, but it's unfamiliar actors. The only one you'll know is Sigourney Weaver, who plays the mom of her, and and it's it's again, it's just fantastic. It's such a great story. It's also what I recommend parents have their kids watch, and it's a really hard film to watch or have have your children watch, but there's a reason behind it. I'll just I don't want to give anything away, but it's it's really well done. Oh, I'll go check that out. I, I'm looking forward to checking that out. I haven't seen any WandaVision yet. I'm just going to wait for the whole thing. And then uh, I want to check out that Cecil Hotel documentary also. Because that, that whole hotel is always just kind of, uh, having lived in LA, it kind of it kind of always creeped me out, the history behind it. Like you're, like you're hearing like people call the paramedics just so they can stab them in the hallway. There's no God. fucking reason. But that, uh, I got to check that out too. But yeah, I'm going to add that to my list too. I have to sit there and say that um, I watched it with my two housemates and I sit there at the very beginning. It's like about the girl. It starts about the girl. And I basically sold it. I go, oh, it's because of this, 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 this. And by the end of it, they all looked at me and was like, how did you know that? I go, hey, it's what I was trained to do. But <laughs> 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 hey. uh, well, yeah, it's very, very interesting. But, um, you know, then I guess, you know, with a hotel with that kind of history, once you realize the, what's going on around that area, it kind of all starts making sense as well. So it's quite interesting. So wait, the Elisa Lamb case got solved? Yeah. It, it did? Oh, I never knew it did. Yeah. I'm gonna, all right, cool. I'll, I'll watch yeah. the documentary. I, 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 I followed what, it when it first what, happened, and then I never figured it. I'm sorry. Yeah. Once, you, once you realize, you know, not, without giving anything, once you realize the reasoning behind it and what happened, it all makes sense. It all's like, oh, okay, this all makes sense sort of thing. So... So, but um, and besides that, um, I've been watching a lot of Asian um horror series on Netflix at the moment. Sweet Home, if you like creatures and monsters and gore, watch mm-hmm. it. It's fantastic. And Alice in um, Borderlands, excellent as well. And both are coming back for a second season, so that's quite good.
Well, that brings us to our first film, which is Mad Max, which is a 1979 Australian dystopian action thriller film directed by George Miller and produced by Byron Kennedy. Mel Gibson stars as Mad Max Rockstansky, a uh, police officer turned vigilante in a near future Australia in the midst of societal collapse. Joanne Samuel, Hugh Keys Burns, Steve Bisley, <clears throat> Tim Burns, and Roger Ward also star. Jane McCosland and Miller wrote the screenplay with a story by Miller and Kennedy. Principal photography of Mad Max took place in and around Melbourne and lasted six weeks. The film initially received a polarized reception upon its release in April 1979. Although it won four AACTA awards and attracted a cult following, its critical reputation has grown since. Filmed on a budget of 400000 Australian dollars, has earned more than $100 million worldwide U.S. dollars in gross revenue and holds the Guinness record for most profitable independent film of all times, beating out Halloween by $50 million. Wow. The success of Mad Max has been credited for further openings of the global market to Australian new wave films. The film became the first in Mad Max series, giving rise to the three sequels, Mad Max 2, Beyond Thunderdome from 1985, and Fury Road, which will be covering later at 2015. In 2020, a fifth film, to be titled Perosa has now gone into pre-production. What we'll do is cut to the trailer Mad Max and be right back. Tomorrow in a world gone mad. <laughs> the only law will be a renegade squad of suicidal cops. He's my prisoner and he's not walking out that door. And the open road will be controlled by gangs of glory roaders. Max is a cop, one of the best. Where does he have to get you? Scoot jockeys? Yeah, nomad trash. Mm. Well, I'll add it to my trade collection. <laughs> You made the news again. Charges relating hmm. to the slaying of a main force patrol officer Who was he? in a road blockade accident last month. Just another glory roader, I guess. Toe Cutter is a glory roader, one of the most sadistic. Anything I say, anything you say, what a wonderful philosophy you have. Take him away. <gasps> I want my baby. You've not got a sense of humor. Please don't hurt my baby. You've got a pretty face, though. Both want the other dead. But only one can have his way. Mad Max. You don't want to make Max mad. Because when Max gets mad, he gets even. American International presents Mad Max, the maximum force of the future. Hello, welcome to the Literary License Podcast, and we're discussing Mad Max from 1979. So, Chad, what are your thoughts about Mad Max from 1979? Well, I... Uh... I had never seen the original Mad Max until about a month ago. I I grew up with uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. That was probably came out when eh, maybe I was 
11, 12 years old, something along those lines. It was the first thing that introduced me to uh, Mel Gibson. First thing that introduced me to Tina Turner and just blown away, had no idea really what was going on. Just knew it was a post-apocalyptic thing. Uh, Love beyond Thunderdome, but I've never seen the original until about a month ago. And just, I'm not sure what happens between those two movies, but they're night and day. (laughs) Yeah. That I, I know uh, the Road Warrior happens between them, and I haven't. I've never seen the Road Warrior. It's in my uh, to watch things here in the near future, but I I doubt very seriously that everything that happens between point A and point B takes place in that movie. So I I, uh, I guess it was just the beginning of the collapse of society in the mm-hmm. first Mad Max, which I just personally lived through in Dallas, Texas. If you guys have watched the news, <laughs> I just. It would have been a lot more interesting if there were roving gangs of village people cosplayers. So there, there were not, yeah. unfortunately. Snowpocalypse 2021 Texas did not have that. <laughs> but uh, I, I liked it. I liked it for what it was worth. I tried to put myself into the mindset of someone in a theater in 1979 viewing this movie for the very first time. I could I could see where it gained its cult following. I can see where it was very mind-blowing to a casual cinema goer at, at that time. Um, and I'm, I'm actually very curious now to see the next one in the series. I'm very, very curious to see The Road Warrior, to see what happens between Mad Max and Beyond Thunderdome to, to make it what it is. But uh, yeah, very, very good. Very, very fond memories of, of Mel Gibson in the 80s compared to now. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that because when I first was watching, I too am in the same bucket as you. I never really watch. I've never been one to watch like what I call road rage <laughs> like yeah. films. So I'm not a big Fast and the Furious. I'm not a big like, oh, cars, you know, like I'm not. I get it. But at the same time, it's like I never got into that. And so watching this, I was a little... I was a little thrown off and part of it was obviously the slang that Australians use versus what Americans yes. use. And even talk about, um, I was reading about doing a little you know, research on my own. They're saying how they had to create a American version versus Australian because some of the slang, it was, it would throw you off. Um, I felt like it was very, you don't know what a skag is then. Oi, I can't believe that. That's hey. I'm like, okay, at least I know that at least. Come on, oi. You know, um, I found it to be more like bohemian than post apocalyptic, if that, if you will. You know, because it seemed very carefree. It didn't seem like everyone was like hunkering down or afraid. The only time they were afraid was when this crew came into town. It was like, it's very Western in a way. It's like everyone's chilling out in the town all of a sudden. It was, wah, it, was post, wah, wah. it was post-apocalyptic with a budget. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about yourself, Joe? What are your thoughts? Uh, similar, similar to Chad, I was kind of thinking when, when I'm watching this, I, and I watched, um, I watched Fury Road earlier in the day. And then I went, um, and then I went back and after work watched Mad Max, and it's it's also like watching those two in particular. It is like night and day, like you said, because the first one, like John said, it didn't seem that post apocalyptic. It's it's just kind of like a modern for its time western. So yeah, if you watch just those two movies without uh, Beyond Thunderdome and without The Road Warrior, it's 
it makes you want, what the hell got got us from here to here because it uh, you it's obviously yeah there, there's a couple things that are obviously kind of falling apart in Mad Max but not to the level of what you of you know uh, of Fury Road it's it's um it's like the old Toby Hooper thing. He said he knows it's a good screenplay when he opens when he reads the first page and the last page and goes, "How the hell did that happen?" Yeah. So if you watch just those two movies, you want to go back and watch those two middle ones and go, "How did it get from here?" Which it's just you know a gang crime western to this place where society's completely destroyed and decimated. Um. Uh, yeah, it's um, it, it was interesting rewatching it because I hadn't seen uh, the first Mad Max in like a solid maybe 20 years or so. Well, basically, um, I am a fan of all the them as they were coming out. And basically, I guess what you have is the, the, the first one is more of a realistic view of what you have sort of thing. And what you have is the Mad Max character and his society breaks down and what's um, been you know studied in like with things like Nietzsche and Schoenberg is that first of all, law gets broken down. Then after law breaks down, and this is um, the reason why, I guess the reason why this film came about is another thing is, is that, and I don't know if any of you remember, but there was the energy crisis of 1974 where gas and everything were basically, and people were actually fist fighting and shooting people at gas stations in America and Australia around the world because they couldn't get gas for their cars. So this kind of spurred off this sort of thing. And that's why um, you'll notice in, when you do get to the second one and Thunderdome goes a bit further. And then of course, Fury Road goes a bit further with that is that gas is a commodity where human life is nothing. And it gets to be, so when you get the, when you start getting the breakdown of society, what happens is law breaks down first and then the lawlessness take over the land. And so no matter how you want to stay out of it, there's nothing to keep you out of it. That you're going to be stuck on the middle. You're going to fight to survive or you're going to die sort of thing. And that's what we kind of get with Mad Max sort of situation is that we, we have the breakdown of law. That's the reason why when you do see the, the hall of justice and the police is everything's the, you know the the offices and everything are all in disarray there's no there's no form of justice people are quitting the law force over and over and over kind of i guess if you're going to make it into a modern day science fiction it probably closely resembles robocop you know when lawlessness started taking over that sort of thing and they need to, you know we're corporations but here you don't have the corporations coming in you're kind of on your own sort of thing yeah. and um and an interesting thing about Mad Max, as far as society breakdowns are concerned, is that if you do compare it to countries where um, society has broken down before civil war and stuff like this, this is totally what this is the kind of thing that's happened. But yeah, it, but it does like as John says, it does fit the Western um, prototype where you know man loses everything, he fights back to get what's his, and then he goes on the lonesome road. And then of course with uh, Mad Max too, you get um, eight years later. Of what's happening and basically society is totally broken down um and then thunderdome is broken down even further and it's lawless and basically you have your groups that are that are forming the law of their land in their groups so it's either going to be part of a group and, or and you can survive no matter if you agree with the laws that you found yourself in or you're going to be a lone wolf and you're going to be on your own and any and you're, you're everyone's enemy at that point yeah. but i think um what's interesting i guess if this movie if this these films were made today. I think what you probably have, you probably would have Road Warrior made first, and then you would have a prequel done, which would have been this film, and it probably would have been spiced up a little bit more. But yeah. because we have something a bit more organically put together, 
with these. With I mean, it, what's quite interesting about the Mad Max films that they're all directed and written by one director and writer. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah. That yeah. doesn't that, that doesn't impressive. happen anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And another thing, I guess, if you remember George um, Miller, I mean, if you look at his other films, whether it's Gallipoli, which is another huge film, which I think is uh, Mel Gibson's first film that was internationally acclaimed. And then you look at his other films, whether it's Babe or Happy Feet and the other films, they all have an <laughs> ecological, me- but they all have an ecological message that right. goes through all his films. Yeah, that's the yeah, sort of thing. So he's kind of the man that had his pulse on, you know, environmental collapse from the very beginning, probably before but- it was cool and trendy. I love a director, though, who can go from from one side of the spectrum to the other. He can go from a talking pig to post-apocalyptic uh, yeah. <laughs> carnage. You know, it's like Robert Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez does the same stuff. You know, you've got From Dust Till Dawn and you've got Spy Kids. And- yeah. <laughs> yeah. And was that Lava Boy and Shark Girl? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, another thing I quite like, I mean, there's some, int- I mean, another thing that Mad Max harbors back to as well is you have to remember that in the, in the 70s, we also had grindhouse films that were quite big at this time. And the art and the, and these postmodern art films are coming out, whether it was Liquid Sky and all these other films that were kind of bubbling underneath this. And so what we kind of got is got a mixture of these, these kind of post-punk kind of films, but we're, but we do have the, the organic organic car chases as well which were very big whether you know and uh, you know quentin tarantino gave a nod to these in his short well his mini film of death proof you know whether it was you know was electric glide and blue and um some of the other um car films that were coming out at that time so this was kind of in there but the interesting thing is that the motorcycle gang that you are watching in this film are actually a real motorcycle gang yeah yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, that I didn't know. I also yeah. saw. I was reading too that they a lot of it because they were trying to be so um, just quick with the shooting that a lot of they didn't close down the roads and so they were just kind of shooting and then they go back and like redust the roads. But then eventually, law enforcement found out about how, how, how ironic in the sense that they're in Australia. They're like, "This is fun. Let's help you." And like in versus America, they'd be like, "We're gonna put. We're gonna find you. We're gonna permit you." You know, like. There, and so that's kind of cool. Like everything was off the cuff, you know. They did it quickly and shot quickly, but you couldn't, uh, you wouldn't be able to tell that watching it now. I was like, wow, that's kind of amazing to be able to do that because it does seem like an in that aspect, it does seem like a barren land because there's not that many people. There's like little villages that they see, and they, you know, the seaside village with the couple, you know, the the town. Um, I would say what was interesting too is just the interactions with people that it almost felt a little um grease like just the way the the mannerisms and their how they look at each other how they react to each other like you know how they they pull the guy and they're joshing the guy and his girlfriend then they get in the car and they take off and then they chase them it felt very um 60s that way like you know the style I think another thing that's quite interesting is that all the cars that were um, mangled, not the police cars, but the other cars that were mangled were basically the director's own car. Like the, the, the van is what they did. They didn't have a car. So they used the director's van and they smashed that. The, the trailer wow. was one of the sun guys trailer that he just bought. And they go, we, we need this for the film. And they, yeah. And all, all the crashes, basically, that you see are real crashes. I mean, one of the that. most painful is when they destroy that car, that beautiful car. And I was like, oh, God, can you imagine being the person who owned that car? And it's like, we're going to just bat- destroy it. <laughs> You're like, oh, 
and I, I also love the different types of like, there was that like the bike that wasn't a bike, but it was like a three wheeler. Like I love like the different, that kind of aspect of it was you had, you know, the police officer's car and then you had Max's car towards the end. And then you had different types of, you know, vehicles throughout this that were like, you know, very cool. I mean, another think- interesting f- fact of this is that the woman who plays the wife in the movie, she's the second actress. The first actress got badly injured and was um, in the hospital for eight weeks. <laughs> oh, yeah. She Ooh. actually got run over by the motorcycle. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So, like, oh, we got to retake this one. <laughs> we, need to, we need to recast her. <laughs> Let me guess. Was this a scene when she gets ran over by the bike? In the- <laughs> mm, yeah. Did they film that? And it literally was her. <laughs> Oh. And there's there's also 20 minutes of this film that's been cut due to um, another thing that um, a lot of people don't know because people have an idea of what Australia is as far as censorship goes, but they're actually heavily more censored than America and the UK about certain things. And so that's the, and then they had to cut 20 minutes out of it because of the censorship in Australia and they lost all that footage. So that oh, wow. no. I was wondering that because there are some that they almost get you there, but then they don't show, like, for instance, the woman who's brutalized and, you know, the, the guy who gets like, you know, taken out, whatever. And then the woman is brutalized and all that, but they kind of, you kind of skip, like, you don't see that. You kind of see the aftermath of that, you know? Yeah. Well, there's that. I think you had the running over the child. Yeah. Close up. Right. You also had, um, you also had the rape of the guy and the rape of the woman. Yeah. Simultaneous and stuff like that. And then the, the burn too, his friend who got heavily burned. I'm sure they tried to show something of a degree of that. Mm. You know, watching these films, does anybody else feel cheated by our own pandemic now? <laughs> where, where, no, where, I don't, where are the car, ch- where are the car chases? <laughs> Whereas everybody, everybody, instead of, you know, like rising up to be this huge villain or this huge hero, everyone's like, this is hard. <laughs> Everything's hard. <laughs> I, I feel just, I feel cheated. I feel like everyone wanted either a zombie apocalypse or like this type of like post-apocalyptic world where some warlord is going to come and be like, I control all of the internet now. Just give it time. I think that's coming. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Less than a year in. Yeah. (laughs) It's still early. I mean, they're plotting, you know. Could you imagine that if COVID hit us like the 80s? Then they'd oh, really right. be bitching. <laughs> Seriously. Like, well, nothing, nothing to watch, nothing to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, trying to call someone, but you have to wait because you're on a party line. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> My internet dial-up is... Burr, burr, burr. <laughs> Actually, I think if um, COVID yeah. happened in the 80s, I was telling a patient the other day, if COVID happened in the 80s and the family next door had COVID, my mom would probably send us all over there to play with them. I <laughs> so know. Yeah. get it over with. <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> You'll be fine. You'll let's see another day. Let's just get it over with. Sort of thing. But um, but I think what's interesting about Mad Max, I think it's quite interesting to see the because it's very rare that you get the beginnings of an apocalyptic film. You normally kind of go, you're kind of somewhere between the middle going towards the end of an apocalypse. Right. You never yeah. see the the beginning stages of something, and I thought that's, I think that's probably the reason what keeps Mad Max alive is that this is probably one of the only films you actually see the very beginning of it. Yo, know, you're yeah. absolutely correct, and I I didn't look at this film that way until you said that. As as we were speaking just now, it's it's the beginning of the. I can't think of another apocalyptic movie that that shows you the beginning. They 
they'll they'll take you right into the middle of it and then give you a little bit of backstory through some flashbacks or something but you're you're absolutely right and as far as the breakdown of law i i, th- I think that what you called it the hall of, i think it was called the hall of justice because i remember i remember announcing to the living room meanwhile at the hall of justice all i kept thinking it was like dc you know <laughs> one woman and batman are gonna come flying out of yes. <laughs> but but the set used for the hall of justice was one of the most worn out sets used in the whole film really you know, every everything else kind of kind of looked like a, a you know maybe small town in the middle of nowhere, New England. You know, well, I've never been to Australia, I, so I can only I can only use the places in the United States as an example. But I've seen a lot of little towns like that in the middle of nowhere, New England, sometimes in the deep deep south. But the Hall of Justice was just beat the hell up. It was run down. It looked like apocalypse, but everything else looked eh, looked all right. I sit there and say that Australia is kind of a weird place anyway. You have your your big cities are on the outside, whether it's Melbourne or Sydney. And then as you go into the outback, it's very far and in between. And it's Marby, it's a lot like Wolf Creek. Have you ever seen the movie Wolf Creek or Wolf Creek 2? That's pretty much the outback. And this is pretty much the land that we're dealing with here in Mad Max sort of thing. And it is quite lawless as well. Basically, if you get stuck out there in the middle of nowhere, you're pretty much on your own sort of thing. I've I've been to places in Wyoming that are like that. Wyoming is just strange. It's basically the population of Rhode Island spread out over a huge area. If you, if you wreck out there, you're, you're, you're done for deer are going to gang up on you and eat you in the street, which is a great premise for a Mad Max sequel. Actually. I don't know if if George, Oh oh dear. dear. I don't know if George is listening, George, if you're listening, we have ideas. (laughs) So does anyone have anything more to add about Mad Max before we move to the next one? I mean, I I like that they, they set up the, uh, well, they set up for the, um, for the uh, the child uh, being run over at the end, right at the beginning, by kind of having the tease right in that initial uh, in that initial chase, and uh, you, you sit there wondering what they do it. But now, and you don't even think of it if you're watching this for the first time. You don't think, uh, you know, uh, uh, would would they um, would they actually run over a child? They established yes, they would. And you never think that they're actually going to do it at the end of the movie, that the gang's actually going to do it. And uh, they're right at the end, run down, uh, run down uh, the wife and kid. So they set that up at the beginning, which, again, having watched Fury Road earlier that day, you kind of knew that it was coming. But I like that they set up and pay off like that. Yeah, and also, uh, I, I never understood, and, and I know we're not discussing this film, but it's the one that I've seen the most, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, when, they, when they're when they in the Thunderdome and they get the helmet off of Master Blaster. And there's there's a moment of recognition from Max as, as he looks at, uh, I don't know if he was Master or Blaster, the, the big guy. Like he he sees his face with with the helmet off, and there's there's a moment of recognition. Is that not the same guy in the woods in in this one? Am am I just thinking into this too much? I'm not quite sure because I know what you're talking about, and I know and the guy has Down syndrome, doesn't he? Yes, that's what makes yes, Max, not him. 
And that's when it gets Tina Turner get uh, kind of pissed off, I guess, the word of like, you're supposed to kill Master Blaster, sort of thing in her <laughs> Tina Turner um, tones. Um, but it could be. I mean, the thing is, because you're never quite, sh- I mean, because society has moved so far from the beginning of, you know, from this film, it's kind of hard to figure out. Because he, George Miller has a habit of using these characters again. I mean, Goose is used again in Road Warrior and again in Thunderdome as different characters. Yeah. yeah. Sort of thing. But but all kind of the same character, but in another being, another I character should, name yeah. sort of thing. Because, um, but there's... There's more of a, a joining up of um, the the series with Mad Max Two and Beyond Thunderdome and Fury Road actually does these are actually when you go from two to four two to four you'll see that they blend up a lot closer and then we got then they become more of a, a futuristic apocalyptic version of Clint Eastwood spaghetti westerns they become like that the man with no name. Yeah. Except this one, his name's Max or anything, but he very rarely goes by Max. And you'll notice in Fury Road, they very, very rarely mention his name. So I guess that brings us to Mad Max Fury Road, which is a 2015 Australian post-apocalyptic action film co-written, co-produced, and directed by George Miller. Miller collaborated with Brendan McCarthy and Nico Lotharis on the screenplay, the fourth installment and a revisiting of the Mad Max franchise. It was produced by Kennedy Miller Mitchell and Rat Pack Doom and Entertainment and distributed by Village Road, uh, Road Show Pictures in Australia and by Warner Brothers Pictures internationally. The film stars Tom Hardy, Shalise Theron, Nicholas Holt, Hugh K. Bain, Rosie Huntington-Whiteley, Riley Q, Zoe Kravitz, Abby Lee, and Courtney Eaton. The film is set in post-apocalyptic desert wasteland where petrol and water are scarce commodities and follows Max Rockenstansky as I spit this out who joins forces with (laughs) Imperator Verosa to flee from cult leader Immortal Joe and his army in an armored tanker truck leading to a lengthy road battle. Um, Fury Road was in developmental hell for many years with pre-production starting as early as 1997. Attempts to shoot the film in 2001 and 2003 were delayed due to September 11th attacks and the Iraq War. In 2007, after focusing on the animated comedy Happy Feet, Miller decided to pursue it again. He briefly considered producing Fury Road as a computer animated film, but abandoned in favor of live action. In 2009, Miller announced that filming would begin in early 2011. Hardy was cast as Max in June 2010, with production planned to begin that November. photography was delayed several more times before beginning in July 2012. The film wrapped in December 2012, although additional footage was shot in November 2013. And as this film was trying to get into pre-production, it started off the Mad Max computer game, which has also did very, very well. Luckily, they were able to finish that by the time this film came out because of the long gestation periods. So, Joe, what do you... Though, let's cut to the trailer and we'll get back to Mad Max Free Road. In this wasteland, I am the one who runs from both the living and the dead. A man reduced to a single instinct. Survive.
my property! Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! Wanna get through this? Go! As the world fell, each of us in our own way was broken. It was hard to know who was more crazy. Me, or everyone else. Hello, welcome back to the Jerry Larson's podcast, and we're discussing Mad Max Fury Road from 2015. So, Joe, what are your thoughts about Mad Max Fury Road? Um, first, just wow, <laughs> because um, yeah, go when I when I went to see this in the theater, um, the trailers looked good, and uh, you know, I figured it was going to be kind. Of, I figured it was going to be a fun little you know post apocalyptic action movie, and. I wasn't prepared for just everything that the movie was. And it's, it's rare. And I, I, it's, it's almost sacrilege at times to say that the fourth uh, film in a series is the best one in the series. But in this case, uh, wow. Uh, just everything in it from the political subtext um, to the, um, uh, the the action sequences, the stunt work, the the the, the score, uh, <laughs> like um, this 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 is one of those movies where kind of like when we did um, kind of like when we did uh, Black Sabbath a couple months back, like this could turn into me gushing over it for like an hour. Or so um, it's just this is one of those movies where they it's been in Miller's head. He knew what he wanted for so long that it came out basically perfect. Yeah. Um, and I, that, that, that's, that's really the only praise I can give it is it, without spoiling it for anybody who hasn't seen it. It's basically, it's basically a perfect action post-apocalyptic movie. Probably the best I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I uh, see So I saw Mad Max and then I think the next day, I watched this and I was like, holy hell, it's like night and day. <laughs> uh, what I would say is I definitely feel like this is more of a Furosa movie than it is a yes. Mad Max. Um, he is literally like the blood, bla- blood bag for Furosa <laughs> in, the, in the literal sense because they use <laughs> him to elevate sort of, you know, the brand to elevate the exposure. And it's funny how f- I, I'm glad that it brought the audience to the film I would have wanted more of, you know, his story because you get flashes of his story. But again, it was more about Furosa and helping her 
get to where she needed to and the five wives, if you will, to get them where they needed to. And it's, it's just so beautifully, stunningly well done. Um, I watched it and then I had my friends watch it this past weekend and just said, you have to watch this film because it's so, because uh, they were like, oh, what should we watch? Uh, I'm getting tired. I'm like, perfect film. <laughs> you're not going to get tired during this <laughs> film. You'll be wide awake. Trust me. And you're like, sure enough, right into the film, you're just in it and you're thrown in it. it everything is just so high octane, fast paced that you don't get a dull moment. And the other thing is, I just told my friends, suspend your disbelief because there are there are moments in it that you're like, wait, how? And I'm like, just suspend your disbelief. Just go with it. Just go with it and go, you know, we're in a we're in this post-apocalyptic world. You know, there's there's tornadoes made of fire and all. Just go. <laughs> just go with it and let it go, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I um what I find quite interesting about Fury Road is that um this is the first, you know, once you watch them all in context, you'll realize this is the first one that actually mad matches the narrator to. The other film He's a legend, so it's always narrated by someone else. So this is the first time you actually get the Mad Max telling his story. Because the other the other two films, Road, um, Road Warrior, Mad Max 2, and Thunderdrome, are told by another narrator. So it's their version of this man who's come to town to save them. Now we now we have a film said that's not actually, like you said, about Mad Max. It's about Mad Max narrating the story about this character he's helping, which is kind of a, a turn of events sort of thing so which is quite interesting because before it's all because you know it's about the legend of Mad Max and that's and that's what you'll notice with the Mad Max films they're about his legend about who he is and how other people interpret him to be he is literally like the gunman that comes into town does his thing and then you know leaves and it's so it is still that way always a western if you will it's like the good guy that comes into town not by I mean he kind of was forced to come into town I think at that point in his life he was trying to just avoid everyone. And like uh, Keith, like you had mentioned in the first film, it's either you pick a side or you're, or you're going to always be hunted down by anyone. So he, he was at that point where I'm not, I'm just going to try to do my own thing and try to avoid people as much as possible. A nomad. Yeah. Well, I mean, he did find himself, you know, thrown into the middle of the situation, didn't he? That, I mean, yeah. He couldn't really help. Yeah, I mean, when they tie you to the front of a car, they're using you as um, a, a hood ornament. <laughs> a and blood bag. After he was someone. a blood bag. <laughs> <laughs> and they're chasing down after someone. And if you get away from that, you're kind of like at the mercy of whoever, whatever team you fall in front of sort of thing. Yeah. So. I also like to tie into the old religion, like the Valhalla and like all of that was like very cool. And, and uh, just the oddities of it too, which I think it was such a, a refreshing thing because you know you think of a world that's like a post-apocalyptic that not too many people can be healthy if they're not getting food and and you know nurturance and like there's this you know oddities where you see the people with the tattoos and the white skin and they have the tumors and like all of that was like very cool and fresh in some ways and that in the sense of the first film to hear like right now we are in this very transformed world where people are just trying to survive you know and it does um, put a knock on things when, I mean, I guess this is where things like Walking Dead and the zombie apocalyptic movies kind of go wrong. Because the thing is, if everything goes down, the the first thing that you're going to be without is fresh water. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It yeah. seemed like that must have been a dam at some point because the way, the way he's able to control the water is like the dam that would have been there. It's gone now. It's just a, a, a duct, a water duct. Yeah, but I mean, the thing is, I mean, you know, if you don't have, if you don't have like, 
electricity and everything like that, you're not going to have fresh water. Was, um, was, that's true. Yeah. Was anyone else hesitant to watch this film for the first time like I was, though? Like A little I, bit. Yeah, I, I would say I was a little bit like, oh, God, is this going to be the overacting, the over, like, like almost too much going on all at once that you just can't even focus on what's happening? Yeah, totally. Like, there, there were so many, like, this came out 2015. There were so many movies in 2015 that were playing off of our 80s nostalgia. Like, basic, basically, we're, we're going to attempt to cater to middle-aged, you know, people and somehow put a spin on it that will get like the younger generations interested. And I was, I was just so sick of that approach. Cause I mean, what else did we have that year? We had ghostbusters uh, with the, with the all female cast. We had several, several others. So I, I really had no interest in seeing this at all, especially with the recasting of max. I mean, not that Mel Gibson could still do what he was doing in the eighties today, but I just, that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I did not give it a chance at all. I did not see it in a theater and I kicked myself in the ass every time I see this on my TV for not seeing it in a theater. Well, I think, um, I think that they wanted um, Mel Gibson initially, but what stopped it was his Jewish rant that kind of put the the bosh on that, unfortunately. Right. Um, If that didn't happen, it probably would have been him and it might've been a slightly different film. Well, I don't know if it'd be better or worse. I think it'd just be slightly have a different from because I think Mel Gibson probably could still turn it in. If yeah. He had to. Did you see someone who did the dub face for it? That someone did a dub face of side by side of him. It's his face, but with Tom Harding's body, obviously. It's actually really cool and well done. I mean, if you go on, um, if you go on YouTube, you can find it. And I was like. It's funny. I could see him. I don't know if his ego would have actually wanted this film because he's he's such a small character. In this. Like yeah, if you think about Mad much. Max character, even when you think you get you think at one point you're going to see him fight, you don't see him fight. Like he goes into the cloud. They're like, where did he go? I don't know. And then he comes back all bloody. You know, you don't even get to see any of that. You you know he's a badass. You know he's capable of doing really cool things, but. For the most part, like I said, this is Furiosa's film. Like it's her trying to get to where she goes and all of that. So I think his and maybe his ego could have been a little bit like, um, there's not enough airtime for me. So I don't really know if I want to do this film. Like in my opinion, like I just think that at that point in his yeah, career, but I think yeah. with but, but I think with um, um, Mel Gibson is that I think that if they could get the money, if they could get the money with his name attached, that the whole thing didn't happen with him, the controversy that happened with him. I think he would have done it because if it wasn't for George Miller, he wouldn't have a career. Yeah, I agree. And he, and he, and he does, because he, I mean, Gallipoli was brought into the masses as far as like being an actor. That was, yeah, that was a George Miller film. There's the Mad Max film that brought him to America, you know, and, and Road Warrior brought him to America. And then, you know, and, you know, and to be honest, Thunderdome, he didn't need to do Thunderdome. And he did it as a favor to George Miller. Because at that time, I mean, he had the Lethal Weapon films. He was, he could, he could have done anything he wanted to. And he did, he did Beyond Thunderdome at a cut rate. So that's why I think that he might have, probably would have gone forward. Yeah. I mean, as far as what you're saying, um, Chad, I mean, I, once I knew that George Miller was attached and that basically it was um, gonna, it's done with Australian money and it's going to be an Australian film. That kind of set me at ease. I was kind of worried that it was going to be American money and American studios being putting their all into it. And that, but 
George Miller is very, very clever because when he does a film, even if it is with American money, he does it in Australia because he knows that none of those people want to travel 24 hours to go and see him. So he's right. very, very yeah. <laughs> I, my, my biggest concern was also, too, is that it would be overly CGI. Yes. It, it just didn't feel that way. You could tell that they obviously use filters for, to set the tone, but... It was nice to be like, I, I just know from a budgeting standpoint, everything blowing up and the Cirque du Soleil of people like doing the acrobats and all. I mean, that I, it was so well done that way where I just wasn't like, I wouldn't be like, oh, because my friend said in the beginning when, you know, when they're in the desert, he's like, oh, look at all the CGI. I'm like, and that's about all you get. Like where the dam and all that, that's all CGI. But after that, it just feels natural it feels like you're in the desert with them you know i'm i'm sorry the fast and the furious franchise has ruined vehicular movies for me uh there there is so much cgi and just nonsense in those that that was another reason i was scared to see this film i'm like okay this is this is going to kill my childhood because this is going to be just cgi americanized modern madness in in hopes that maybe it could prey off my eighties nostalgia. You know, it's, I just, there was so much holding me back from watching this movie the first time. And then I remember when I finally sat down to watch it, I'm like, what the hell did I just see? I know it's one of those that should be seen on a big screen. You, I, I agree. Well, I mean, all, I mean, th- there's not a hell of a lot of CGI used in this film, surprisingly enough. Um, all the, all the um, people that you're seeing and all the crowds are real people. They didn't filter them out with CGI. The um, all the vehicles that you're seeing are vehicles that do run. They, they made all those vehicles and they do run. That guy with the you know guitar flashing. That's real fire that's coming out. That's not <laughs> yeah. CGI. Fire. That is so awesome. Yeah. And, you know he and then, uh, George Miller wanted to make he wanted to bridge the gap between the first movies and this movie as far as technical advances go. And the reason why that in the, the desert in the beginning is um, CGI'd a little bit, they had to get, what happened was is they had a downfall of water and that desert ended up being full of wildflowers. So they actually had to CGI the wildflowers out. <laughs> oh, interesting. To make it look more disparaging, basically. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because, because if the guy that, yeah. is crawling out of the hole, uh, you know, who had no legs is crawling out of the hole and there's wildflowers, it could ruin that moment there. So <laughs> yeah. I remember seeing that going, Jesus, like when he comes crawling out, you know. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, I have to give extra kudos to Tom Hardy for putting on Mel Gibson's accent as well. Right. You know, Tom Hardy is an East End English boy. Um, if you ever hear him talking normally, he doesn't sound like that. Yeah, and he he does. He, I mean, he does very very well because I mean, Mel Gibson's accent and voice are kind of hard to put because even though it has he had that Australian, but there's this there's this baritone richness to his voice that very I've never seen anyone been able to mimic his voice ever in anything. So yeah. for Tom Hardy to pull that off, that's that's quite a you know kudos Jeez. to him. <laughs> and to be honest, I think Tom Hardy, as far as um, he, I don't know what he's like in the rest of the world, but in the UK, um, Tom Hardy does bedside, um, bedtime stories on BBC children's programming here. He does about three a year to read the oh, children. Wow. And it's basically has, it's got the highest ratings of any 
BBC programming of all time due to housewives going in and creaming their knickers while he's reading their children a bedtime story. So, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. More green eggs and ham. Tell me, tell me, Daddy. Yeah. Tell me, Daddy Brady. Yeah, it's, it's a bit like that, actually. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I heard or I read that it was actually uh, Heath Ledger was up for the role, and then that's when he he had passed. So that would have been interesting to have that take, keeping that person in mind, who could have been mm-hmm. him. Yeah, I kind of prefer Tom Hardy in this role. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit. There's another two films coming out with the Mad Max character to to bring to tell the rest of his story. And then, of course, Ferocious getting her spin-off story. So doing Ferosa, then they're doing Mad Max, another Ferosa and a Mad Max. So we got like two two trilogies going to be running at the same now, time. Now, haven't they recast uh, Char... Do you say Theron or Charlie Theron? Theron? Haven't they recast her as Ferosa, though? It, it's it's going to be yes, a they younger have. version. Anya, who is, who is in The Witch, which we covered. Oh, I'm curious because I think it's going to be holy her story. Hell. How she so, becomes Ferosa. So the girl, the girl from uh, oh damn, what's the chess Split. series on Netflix? Oh yeah, she's also on Split as well. Yeah, the Queen Queen's Gambit. Yes, there yeah. we go. Oh wow, that's going to be her, huh? So it's going to. I okay. think it's just going to be how she because remember she get she got taken from her home and then she get, was brought there, but it's probably how she becomes Ferosa. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. all in, one hundred percent, all in. It'd be interesting to see how um, Ferosa's eyes go from one side of her head to back to the center. So that'd be quite good. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, li- I like Anya Taylor, what's her name? But um, but she she does kind of look like a bit of a goldfish because she has like those great big eyes and kind of yeah. on the other side of, other side mm-hmm. of her face. Yeah. So I think, but I mean, I think another good thing that we have is that George Miller is not going to let anyone do this. He's sticking to it and he's sticking to the gun great. Uh, i think the difference between fury road and the other three mad max films is the guy who wrote them before died and so and, and um, so he, he spent a really good time finding people who could continue the story and work with him and be able to work in this universe and i think he found a good team there yeah i mean it's written so well i mean fury road the just the plot of it and how it moves along and the themes of home right because it's like you know, Furiosa was taken from her home and then, you know, this mad king wants to keep these brides and they're, they're looking for a new home and there's all these different themes that are intertwined and I think the writing for it is, is, was so well done because I didn't find myself at ever going, oh, that's unbelievable. Even, um, what was his name? Nux? Nux falling for the, one of them and having that relationship. I kind of felt I knew where it was going, but it was so authentic and it felt authentic and even even the relationship between um, Furiosa and Max, it, it held this grudge between each other. And the only way they relieved it was at the very end when he was like, see you later, you know, and she's going up and he's, he's staying there. I think she finally was like, okay, you're, you're a cool dude, right? You helped me get here and you, you know, you got me to this place. Um, I think another good thing with, um, George Miller and the way that he does his films that he does make message films. All his films have a message. You know, this one's got a lot of messages and it's probably, it's probably the only feminist film that you'll see that they're not hitting you over the head with this feminism um, storyline going through that, you know, and I have to sit there and say that's quite clever because a lot of Hollywood films are trying to come out with some, whatever political message they're trying to sell. Yeah. 
um, whether you know believe in them or not sometimes it is like being sledgehammer over the head to the point where it's just like okay well now now you're just pointing your finger and yelling at me where george miller kind of just wraps it all up and sort of thing and then you walk away with it and you start thinking about it and it's like oh okay it's this oh now it's this it's this okay it's environmental oh it's this yeah. and, and i think that's i think it takes a really strong director and a really strong um, script writers to be able to do that and i think sometimes that what we have of late is kind of a little bit of weakness in that sort yeah. of thing, because, you know, you tend to, if whatever message you're trying to portray and whatever you're um, have out there, it's best to sit there and make it subliminal. So therefore it hits you without it overpowering you. And a lot of times, you know, whether it's the ghostbusters, um, the female ghostbusters, that was hammering you overhead with this feminism thing sort of thing. And I think, you know, if they didn't, and at one point, I think they kind of turn to the camera and tell you sort of thing. Yeah. And, you know, and I think there's been a couple shows that we've had, you know, over the years that kind of have been hammering you over the head or whatever like this, where he just goes, I'm going to let the characters breathe on the screen and they'll tell you their story and what take away from it is up to you. But you yeah. do, but he does get his message across. Yeah. I and mean, even if you look at something as silly as Happy Feet sort of thing that there's an environmental message all the way through that film but you're not hammered over the head with this environmental message at yeah. all not at one time not at one point neither are you with babe with the the message that he has through there about you know the cruelty to farm animals and what's happening there and all the other stuff that goes along in the messages that you get with this but he doesn't give you that you get it afterwards once yeah. you like sit about it and you think sit and think back go, all right but you, you always sit back going, I saw a really great film. I actually learned something today sort of thing. But yeah. it's not like I, you know, it's not like you learn something first and then and hopefully you'll enjoy it. It's you'll enjoy the film. And if you learn something great, if you don't, you're still going to have a good ride on the way there. Yeah. And there's also with this one, too, you think that there is a happy ending, but then not really. Because you look at it, it's an enslaved society in general. Like you have that, like she, that yes, she has now killed the king and now she is the, you know, the queen and all that, but she's now going to have to protect that. Right. And then you have all these other factions who are vying for things, but you have, well, what do you do with the people at the bottom who are still, you know, they're, you know, they're going to be there. And that's not going to be like, so it's, it's something that you watch. And I like afterwards, I was like, Oh, she, you know, she wins. And I'm like, but in this world, no one's really winning. Like literally all of them are going to be doing is, oh, like, you know, one of the biggest moments in this film, I just was, it was gut-wrenching is when she's reunited with her family. And she's like, at the green place, I'm bringing them to the green place. And they're like, oh, you passed it. And she's like, what? And then, you, and then I was like, oh my God. And I was like, the, the tree. And then I was like, oh, the tree. And then she just has this defeated moment where she just collapses and she just, you know, starts wailing it is such a, like, this is a tough world to live in. And, you know, we can keep going in a direction, but we don't know what's that way. But I guess we should, because what what's the alternative, right? So it's very, you're left with this sort of, like, hopelessness, because even though they bring them back, someone someone's going to find out that change of power and position and is going to want to try to take that from her now, right? So there's there's a story there that's about constantly trying to keep up with you know being a ruler and trying to protect the people and how do you bring the people from the bottom up and like it so it's all that was like resonating for me because it's like you know we live in a world where it's like money is power like this isn't money this is water water bullets and uh gas are the three drivers right that's that's so crazy and that this faction controls this and this faction controls that and they're driving everything well, I mean, I guess you could sit there and say the same thing as like, you know, if you look at the American 
um, election sort of thing. And, you know, I don't care what side you're on here, but whoever won, you know, in their case, Biden, whoever, whoever won, who was going to win that election kind of lost anyway, because the next four years, you're going to go through hell. You're, yeah. you're like, you're going to have to rebuild everything. So it doesn't right. matter, you know, who won. It's like, you know, and to be honest, who, you know, who's ever going to run these, you know, I mean, we know who's going to run these four years, but it'll be interesting. I mean, he's not going to be sitting, but at the end of it, because it's going to take eight to 12 years to bring everything back after the whole COVID thing, yeah. that that person is going to go down as one of the worst presidents. It doesn't matter who's in it. Like they could be Einstein sorting everything out because, and that's the same thing what you're saying with her, because thing is like, she's going to have to, yeah. restructure the society and to be honest not everyone's going to be lo- rising to the top not everyone's cream at the men's loyal day. right yeah and um yeah, you know. people fighting it. well i'm yeah. also going to say like he had other sons i guess sons or daughters right that i'm sure one of them is going to be like oh i don't you know you killed my dad right wouldn't you i'd be like uh who are you you know you're at a very <laughs> high spot but she's also sure. got that she's also got all those young guys who are on drugs so he's she's gonna have to sort them out as well yeah. you know the ones that are the snorting the whole thing he's oh like, i know yeah, well then, then you get life. into religion right too as well this cultism of, of belief of like you know so that was another resonating sort of like factor with you get these crazy evangelicalists like people who they get sucked into a belief and so these these people who are literally my one friend was like what is he doing i'm like he's doing what some people do in real life which is a suicide bomber like he literally was like i'm giving my life up i'm going to mahala and he was literally and my friend was like no he's not i'm like oh yes he is <laughs> i'm like oh yes he is he's filling that car with octane and gas and he's gonna blow himself up you know <laughs> And that, that's a reality, right? That's something that people do and they get wrapped and their minds get wrapped into that occult. You know? Well, that's what you also find with the breakdown of society is people become more disenfranchised about what's around them. They tend to turn to whatever religion or God they're praying to. Yeah, and they tend to go from one extreme to another. When things are good, people become you know, atheists. I think, I think the thing is when people, when things are good, people become atheists, when things go, people go back to God sort of yeah. thing. And, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I spent many years working in law enforcement, and uh, a, a lot of that time was spent working in corrections in a uh, both a county and a federal jail. And everybody is handed a Bible when they're arrested and brought in, and a lot of them will talk nothing but religion the whole time that they're incarcerated. But those Bibles are recycled out of the garbage when they're on their way out. Yeah, yeah. It's also like you got to yeah, show yeah. truth to character in order to be able to be like, oh, maybe I'll get a shorter term. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, <laughs> sure. I totally believe. Yeah, whatever verse you say. <laughs> well, I mean, look at Tex Watson. I mean, didn't he, didn't he, didn't he a pastor now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he was, and to be honest, I mean, he, he, you know, I mean, Charlie, I don't think actually murdered anyone, but Tex Watson's the one that actually did the most brutal killing of them all, sort of thing. And, but I think most serial killers turn to religion anyway for some reason. Yeah. And mass murderers and murderers and stuff like that. But but I mean the thing is you do find that in society anyway. I mean, if you look at when times are financially really hard, you'll find that cults start growing and where people become like the eighties cults were a really big thing. Late seventies from late seventies into the eighties until before the yuppies took over. There that's when cults were like on a high rise because in the seventies times are really hard. I mean, I think people forget that this, you know, they think of disco music and but everyone was poor in the seventies. And that's when Jonestown and all these cults started rising to the foreground. We're and, seeing it again uh, now. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I mean, we yeah, had the you recession will see it again. too. So we had the, around that time is when you see things start to bubble up too. When when it's when it's a signs of desperation, you you look for a higher power, <laughs> right, to give you direction. Well, I mean, I think you can mention social media as kind of a cult as well, sort of thing. I mean, people get involved, yeah. you know, they'll, they'll yeah. start to little, you know, boards now. I mean, what's quite great is that people can become part of a cult with actually leaving their house nowadays and they'll start the little boards. And then of course they'll have this ringleader who said, who pretty much dictates what all his followers are thinking and believing. Yeah. You know, and you know, it's hive mentality, isn't it? It's like, who's the queen of this hive and this is what this hive's thinking over here. And this is what this hive's thinking. And then, you know, and eventually of course, you know, they're all thinking of praying to the, the you know, the big one when all actuality there's probably, you know, they're all going for the same thing, but doing it in a different way. Sort of yeah. Thing. Without yeah. actually looking at the differences, but uh, you know, I'd like to say that I can't relate, but I I remember when I first listened to the army many many moons ago, uh, just being growing up, being totally fed up with religion. My my uh, my parents were really big into church. Like we were there every time the doors were open. It was like that old commercial they would play for Black Friday, <laughs> where the lady is at like the the department store and she's just going open, open, open. We were like <laughs> we were like that. Or, or my parents were like that. And, you know, by proxy, we were too, because they had the car and they told us what to do. But when I got into the army, I was, I was my own man. I was out on my own and just miserable as hell because I had drunkenly, I'll say drunkenly because drugs are illegal in America, <laughs> drunkenly decided to go into the military. And that very first Sunday when they asked, all right, who wants to go to church? And I sat there and I thought for a second, God, I hate church. But if there's anybody that can get me out of this situation, it's God. So I went. <laughs> Thinking, no, get me out. <laughs> but that was that was also the last time, other than for a wedding or a funeral, that I ever went to church. Because the the preacher was preaching a sermon about how God wanted us to follow the orders of the superior officers placed above us, even if that meant marching to our own death. And I'm like, wow, this yeah. church sucks. I'm not <laughs> coming back. <laughs> Literally, is that where the term marching order comes from? Yeah. <laughs> Literally. I mean, I, the thing is, I, I mean, personally, I, I don't mind spirituality. I have a problem with people who follow religion. They haven't actually read the manual. Right. So it, yes. You know, it's a bit like buying. For me, it's like buying a new stereo and not reading the manual. So you never know exactly what that stereo does. And then someone comes over and tells you what that stereo does, but you still don't. But you don't know if they're telling you the truth or not. Yeah. But if, if you but if you read the manual, you'll be able to get all you get all, you get everything that you need to get out of it. Sort of yeah. thing, and you come up with your own conclusions. The problem and that's is, what, I think that's what bothers me about religion. You got a lot of people who follow it who've never actually read the manual, and that's what my problem. Oh, it's not that it's a lot of them; it's most of them. Yeah, <laughs> and they pick and choose what to use from that device. They're like, "Oh, we'll pick this component. The tape says great, but it also has a record player. No, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> it only has a tape player. <laughs> Pretty sorry. Well, hey, what about this part where it says that uh, that that if you uh, if you rape a woman but pay her father fifty shekels, uh, then <laughs> everything's square. That's, that's not a thing. thing. I'm telling that's you, it's thing. in there. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, I mean, that's what's quite funny about. I've got fifty I mean, shekels right now. <laughs> That seems like a really interesting thing about the Christian side of thing because it's like they'll quote it's like I only I only pray to the New Testament and it's like in the New Testament if you do read it it's quite you know it's all it's all quite love and 
beauty and, he, and mm. jesus doesn't really condemn a lot hardly anything in it whatsoever <laughs> but, then, but when they are condemning they're always going to leviticus which has like, the shackles <laughs> and, 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 the rape, you know women who you know who are you know basically you know women who are widowed needs to be stoned and all this other stuff it's like you know it's like they tend to pick and choose out of leviticus it's like well yeah. you know if you're gonna if you're gonna you know if you're gonna pray about a one thing of leviticus you might want to do it all <laughs> you might as well you can't really pick and choose yeah exactly <laughs> So it's always fun. It's quite funny. And you can always pull people up. If you ever want to have an, a, a discussion or a debate about religion, read up on your Leviticus and just basically just quote the stuff at them. And they're like, who? They go, well, it's actually Leviticus chapter three, verse six. <laughs> you know, it's like, and it kind of like shuts them up for a little while. They don't know well, what to like, say. Oh. And I always find that, um, you know, there's always two questions when any anyone comes religious knocking on my door and I just go, if incest is so bad, how didn't Adam, if Adam and Eve are on earth and Adam and Eve have Cain, Abel and Seth, Cain sleeps Abel, leaving Adam, Eve, Cain and Seth on face and Cain ran off with his wife. Did he run off with his mother? And if incest is so bad, how did Noah and his family repopulate the world? (laughs) Well, it's funny because I was literally just talking to my friend about this. And I'm like, so there has to be this moment where the people of religion would go, Wait, there's only a man and a woman, and they have kids. So how did they have other kids? If, and they only had male like, children. Yeah, and they only male, right? So then it's like, mm, yeah. I can't imagine if incest yeah. was would be a an actual day to day thing though, because kids can't even get along when it's playtime. How in the hell are they going to get along during that too? Mom, <laughs> Joey said he was going to give me an orgasm, and he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so in this film, you wonder too the wives beyond them being these these women who are probably used and abused and all that you wonder if they were his daughters right so you wonder if they were the mothers who were the milking mothers with the yeah. big things whatever you wonder if they had them and he's like great that's my daughter now she's going to be my wife right you're like whoa <laughs> you know and in that society he could decide that he could just yeah yeah Exactly. Well, I mean, when you go to um, Old Testament Bible, I mean, they they all had multiple wives, didn't they? I mean, they all, you know, it, there wasn't the problem back then of, you know, yeah. courting inside your family. It kept the family bound stronger, kept the family line stronger. Though, you know, you may have, you know, you may have children with one eye looking at you and another eye looking for you, but your bloodline is stronger. <laughs> <laughs> No, every single one of those girls were supermodels. So uh, I know, you know, like uh, you know, where I mean, I also want to say it's probably because he controls all the crops, and then the mother's milk is like milk; it's not like tainted, right? So it, I think it's like he was trying to breed the perfect, you know, people, a perfect, perfect race of people. His sons were like giant steroid-driven, you know, sons, except for the one that was in the little floating chair thingy. Um, <laughs> yeah he poor guy uh you know it, it was like oh dad i was like how wait how are you what what's <laughs> so going on your dad and he's dad like what well, no, i may uh, be mistaken but i think in um road warrior i think between mad max and road warrior that that there has been some kind of nuclear d- war fallout. at some point yeah. fallout because the thing is is I, I think you start seeing like a lot of thunderdome you see a lot of um people who are kind of mis you know, mal- malformed, yeah, and mutated, like, you know, m- yeah. mutated and, yeah. and you see a lot more of it in Fury Road, and you do see some of it in Road Warrior as well. Well, you so. also see that firestorm thing. That's not natural weather. Like, that is, like, nuclear, <laughs> like, weather, where you're seeing, like, a firestorm, like, which, you know, I, one of the, again, suspending my disbelief, they go through that whole thing, and then they just make their way back through that. Like, like what happened to that? Did that just move on? Like, what? Where, where did that go? Like, when, and my friend was like, 
but it took him like two days. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just, just don't even think about that. <laughs> just, it took him a day. They're good. You know, they got there, you know. Well, when you see how malformed the people were, and then you realize how scarce water is, yeah. hygienically, that cannot be the, the most, uh, the most hygienic population. Yeah. Uh, they're like so that, walking that could lead to that too. Mm. Well, I mean, like that old mother. I mean, she's, you know, in, in this time period, you know, she's probably only like 40. Because <laughs> <laughs> right, they, yeah. they think about people are probably not living that long, really. If they're that malnourished and everything going wrong, I mean, cancer's probably right that, you know, yeah. you know during that. Every disease probably is. I mean, that that's that, that's that's the thing. When, when you think about it, oh, my God, there, there's got to be just so many different diseases going through that population in Fury Road. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like when I was watching, I, I finished watching the stand recently and I watched that, the, the new version of that, which is interesting. Well, I think you can, you can pretty much skip chapter nine or, but everything it's okay. It's interesting. But I always thought to myself, I was like, the thing is you kind of need a good dentist because if you don't have a good dentist, people start dying from tooth decay. Oh yeah. You, die, oh, you can die from tooth decay. Yeah. You, get, you get sepsis and stuff like yeah. that. So I was, you know, I was kind of wondering that like in the stands, like, Oh, they don't have a dentist. So they're probably it's all going to die from tooth decay. <laughs> Did you hear that? They're actually creating an alternate ending to that. I think it's supposed to be released in a couple of weeks. That, that oh, there is a, and Stephen King wrote it. So he actually, I know for the first thing. time ever, he actually altered an ending to to one of his works. Well, the end, the ending that they have at the moment, I'm not giving anything away, but it's very wanky, very self indulgent. It's like I thought that was it. To be honest, I like what in the hell did they do here? And, no, this uh, is about a character who was supposed to be a part of the group that goes to fight, and she either dies or something happens, but it, they, he rewrites it. So he rewrites a character that should have been with this team of people. You know what? I have problems with the stand. Um, it's always bothered me whether it's the first one or the second one is that if you have a disease, it takes three to four days to kill you off. How come you end up like drowning in your soup and how come you just out in the street? Don't you just die at home? I you know. feel that rough. Yeah. <laughs> And, well, and I was going to say, if you knew that was happening, I'd be like, you would find me with a video game controller in my hands. I'd be doing whatever the hell is making me happy. To die. I'd be like this. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I'd, be choke, I'd be choking up. I'd be choking on my own mucus in my bed with my duvet over my head. I know that's how yeah. I would die. I just want to be yeah. like, oh, <laughs> ooh, cream of mushroom soup. I don't think I'd be eating that. I don't know. No. I mean, a oh. of mucus. Soup is not the one that you want. You know, so yeah. like. Mm-hmm. might be a can no. of and coke or something these post-apocalyptic films i don't think anyone ever really tackles the smell can you i mean you just oh, yeah you just you know between between people going to the bathroom everywhere no one bathing just yeah. everybody's in a tight little vehicle on these road trips and not once did one of those characters turn to the other and just go like sniff them you know <laughs> <laughs> like Either or they're just used to it by now. Or they're using, I'm, they're huffing, so that's why they don't, yeah. they're huffing the paint. That's why it gets that's it. There you go. Like, that's why. See, I always wonder that when I see some of these, like you know, whether it's nights, you know, <clears throat> night films from you know, not Knights of the Round Table, or if it's a western or something like this, and like, you know, those people all smelled really bad. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, and then it's like, and then they're like, you know, they go, oh, let's, you know, let's go rape this woman. It's like. <laughs> Okay. Like, I just I just went, you know, we're talking about the uh, the great 2021 Texas snowpocalypse. I just went three days with no power and no water. And when everything finally came back on last night and I went to go take the inevitable shower, 
I smelled horrible after three days. I know. So I would, I, it's, a, it's funny how people complain too without having hot water. And I, thankfully, my dad taught me at a very young age when I went to go see my grandparents. They were they were hot water like they they treated it like it was the apocalypse. They kept that water, and if you ran out of water, my grandpa was like, "Sorry." cold shower and i remember my dad just throwing me in there going you got to take a shower and be like just drenched with you know freezing water and like my friends when i think here in the city when we had the flooding people didn't have hot water and i was like i get you know i get used to it like now i take colder showers like why i'm like because you you don't want to take a shower are you kidding me you would rather not take a shower than take a cold shower what are you crazy (laughs) like and you never know when the apocalypse Apocalypse is going to happen. Exactly. I had sat there in St. Fury Road. I didn't see one toilet, so I don't know where these people were going. Oh, I think in the hole where that guy crawled out of. That's where (laughs) (laughs) poor guy. Or in the fresh water. That's what they do in the um, Ganges. It's kind of um, when I went to India once, it's like in the Ganges, and everyone's like bathing in it because it's healing. It's like, and like not even like 100 yards up the road is where they're putting the dead. You know, like, oh, yeah, that's okay, safe. Well, it's not bringing the dead. It's like, if it's not bringing the dead back alive, I'm not going in there for healing power. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. People are drinking out of it, getting their water, filling up their jugs. Like, okay. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, even look at the clean water when they were dumping those on people. I mean, it's not clean. It is. It's, all, it's mud water, isn't it? It's like drinking out of a puddle. Yeah. Well, the, in the, in this again, they make the water that's up near where they are all clear and pretty, and then by the time it gets down to them, it's like mud. <laughs> you know? And the, and all their and all their dirty unwashed bodies are like in it, like grabbing. Water. Oh, I know. So basically, it's like you know, you're just collecting unwashed unwashed body water. <laughs> oh my god! You know, that's one of my, one of those things that my father used to talk about when I was a kid because you know you go to you go to the amusement park and they always have the water ride that makes the big splash and you see the people that like stand up on the bridge or whatever, so the water will go over them. And my father, from a very very early age would would tell me and my brothers be like don't go stand on that bridge because that is collected water from everyone's crotch that Mm -hmm. that has been going over the bathrooms (laughs) are like oh yeah yeah they're like don't 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 go stand we don't do water rides and still to this day i don't do water rides because my father's words echo in my head that it's nothing but crotch water soup and you're just riding around in it. Well, by the way, it must be because you can clearly smell. It's like pumped with chlorine. Oh, like you yes. smell that chlorine and you're like, good Lord. It's like they have their whole freaking Clorox bottle into the, you know. <laughs> no, but no, uh, we have oh, six, uh, six Flags over Texas is right down the road. And no, I, I have not ridden a water ride probably since early childhood. Well, I mean, nowadays they put that special chlorine in the pool so you can tell where someone. <laughs> oh God! Is. Ew! It's like turned purple or something. Like what? yeah, like oh. like a purple pink. It's like, oh. it's like it's like you know, first thing in the morning is like clear water. By the afternoon, it's like you pretty much got like you know. You look like a smart. Well, you, you get well, you get like art classes, and then like when you used to mix your colors. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Rocher. Your or was it was it called with the the ink blot? <laughs> Oh, Warshack. 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 Yeah. Yeah. What do you see? I see, not with the mommy. I see someone who peed in the pool, I mean, or did worse. Uh, Definitely. 
Well, people are a disgusting animal, really, aren't yeah. they? Let's be honest. At least cats <laughs> cover it up. People yeah, there's true out there for everyone to walk into. But. So I think what we should do, I think we've um, pretty much exhausted this conversation. Let's talk about <laughs> <laughs> Engrossed everyone out. Sorry about that. <laughs> What are your final thoughts of Mad Max and Mad Max Fury Road, starting with John? Uh, I, I, it took me a little bit to get in the first one. Uh, I'm glad that I did see it because I hadn't seen it, and I was always going I'm going to see two and three. Loved, love, love, love Fury Road. I love, I mean, it's just very badass. It's very, you know, very well done from the filming, from the music, from it just the, I love a film that just keeps you like constantly engaged. And it wasn't like I ever got bored. And in this reality that we live in now, it's very easy to pick up your phone. And like, I was in this film and like watching it and it goes by quick. It feels like it doesn't like at first. And then you're like, Oh my God, we're already like an hour and a half into this. It just goes so fast. You know, uh, loved it, loved it, loved it. What about yourself, Chad? What are your final thoughts on these two films? Well, each, both of these films, well, all four films in the Mad Max universe, uh, they, they all, they're all kind of their own thing, really. And if you go in order from how they were released, I, I think you're going to have the best experience uh, because of the differences between, you know, how, how like, the original Mad Max is, is like mini Mad Max compared to Fury Road. And it's, it's just... It's just uh, it's it's like a stair step in in both quality and story, and uh, I, I'd say my my recommendation. Uh, sorry, my recommendation to anyone who has not watched these movies before would be to watch them in the order of release because the older ones in the series are uh, they're not going to hold your attention once once you've seen Fury Road. I don't think any of of the other three will be able to hold your attention as well. What about yourself, Joe? Um, well, the the uh, <clears throat> the original Mad Max uh, just historically created an, like, like I don't know if it created it, but it, it certainly it spun off mm-hmm. into all these all these ripoffs. It, it basically made um, made the post apocalyptic subgenre of the early eighties. So it's it's a trendsetter. It's an important piece of cinema history just in that. Um, without it, uh, you don't have a lot of the post-apocalyptic movies that came out in the eighties. Uh, earlier Keith, uh, Keith mentioned RoboCop, which is kind of the other side of, uh, of the same coin here, which is the breakdown of society only in RoboCop. You have the corporations coming and take over Mad Max. It's a world where just everything breaks down. Nothing takes over and everything just goes to hell. Um, Fury Road in a time, like in a time period where, uh, like Chad was saying earlier, we're getting all these movies that are just nostalgia pieces that are uh, just, it, they do kind of feel like ripoffs in a way. They do, they do kind of feel like they're, they're, they're kind of playing on our, um, our nostalgia, but then not delivering. This movie, on the other hand, does something completely, it, it is the, the next step in the progression. It's a, it uses the technology to make a far better film than I think George Miller ever expected to be able to make. Um, and I think also, like Keith said, because it was made in Australia, you know, with Australian money and George Miller just basically autored the whole thing. It kind of shows the studios that dude, just shut the fuck up and let these guys do their thing. Let these filmmakers 
who know what they're doing make their film their way because the film was not only a hit, it's a great movie. If you leave these guys to their devices for the most part and not interfere and try to micromanage them on every level, you could have 10 movies on the level of Fury Road every year. Just give these guys a chance to make their movie their way. And we don't get that anymore. This shows that if, if you give these great filmmakers that opportunity, they can deliver something on that level mm. that just fires on all cylinders. And um, the other thing uh, John mentioned earlier, uh, the movie is uh, nonstop action. I, I watched the, the documentary that accompanied, um, uh, what was it called? I, I forget what it was called. One of, the, one of the documentaries that's on iTunes on it. The, audience, the test audiences actually complained that there was too much action and they didn't have a chance to breathe in between. So I thought that was kind of, that, that's kind of an interesting thing too. But it's, it's fantastic storytelling and it's, it's something that you don't really see in these big budget movies anymore because you get like 12 producers in there that come in and go, well, we need this to satisfy this market and we need this and this and this to satisfy, to satisfy this. Just let them go, man. Let them make their movies because these guys are fantastic. They've been making movies for 40, 50 years. They know what they're doing. Let them go. Yeah. They also did this in black and white, which I would love to see. Like they have not it's, released that. I would love to see it. Oh, they uh, did release it. My yeah, it's, it's released. It's, it's oh, on it Voodoo. I mean, it's okay. on Voodoo. I believe it's on Voodoo. Yeah. Cool. It, it's, it's available on the DVD, but they forgot to include it on the Blu-ray. So there is talk about this being rectified at some point. <laughs> sort of thing. My final thoughts are basically Mad Max is that I think I love Mad Max. I'm a, I'm a, I mean, I'm a big fan of these small independent films that came out in the eighties. There's this, there's Repo Man. There is the, the, um, the brother from another planet that was around throughout this time. Liquid Sky is another one of my favorite. And I quite like these small independent films who basically <coughs> we're going to do it the gorilla style and out we come and they come out with a great project. And I like the idea that, you know, this is the beginning of Mad Max and you see how it comes. And I like the idea that it's like homegrown, version yeah. of mad max it's not an overblown thing where he's like some kind of superhero that gets bit by a meteor or whatever like this he's kind of like you know this is like a normal man of every day and then as you go through the films you see him become the person he is in fury road and i know that we're jumping from one to the end here yeah. but i and i quite like the way that george miller has been able to take this character and grow him at the same time but keep him in legendary comic book um, mythology and I like the mythology that is built around Mad Max that you know he is a normal person who unfortunately you know was dealt a hard you know hard blow with the loss and this is what happens when you go through a loss and then and then he's a man with basically on his lo on lonesome basically and that's what you get through the rest of the films but at the same time he's a man with no humanity but a lot of humanity underneath it all and that's what i quite yeah. like about him he's not like you know because whenever anyone needs a helping hand he's always there yeah you know he's, pretty always, much. he's always he's always he's always there to help you know the underdog sort of thing and at the end of the day he doesn't want to be thanked either he's like i don't thank me i'm doing i'll help you and i'm going on my way and i quite like that it doesn't there never has to be any kind of retribution for mad max as well and I quite like that, that he doesn't need the retribution. We don't need this, you know, this character arc where it's just like, oh, he's a new man. He's going to be a new person after all this is over with. He's just living his life going from, you know, yeah. story to Trying story. Trying to get by. Yeah. And, and what I like about Fury Road is simple fact that it's able to carry that legend forward. And even though it 
has lost a major scriptwriter and lost Mel Gibson per se due to age and various other reasons. It hasn't lost any of its punch or fight or and the mythology and everything is still there. And the only thing that I have against Fury Road is that I watched Fury Road and I was a huge <laughs> fan of um, the Chronicles of Riddick film oh, yeah. where I thought this was going to be great. And that, and I look at when I see Mad Max Free Road, I look at Chronicles of Riddick like that's the movie that movie should have been sort of thing, sort of, you know, when basically when Hollywood studios got involved and messed it all up and we, we got the shit movie, which could have been a fantastic movie. We're here. We got the studios leaving this alone as Joe said, and we got this fantastic movie. And it does make me excited to see where, the, where he will go with it because I think with George, what I like about George Miller is that he's true to his vision. He, he fights <clears> with his <throat> vision, but at the same time, he's not a director who demands a lot of money. He only does, he does passion projects that he wants to do. Um, and every, the money that's spent on any of his films you will see on the screen is not going to be put into his pocket. He's not a vanity. He's not a um, director and that's what i like about george miller and you see that in fury road fury road did not cost that much to make yeah which is surprising because again all especially of all of the just i mean the the cars and the blowing up and all that like the pyrotechnics and all that like you would think it costs a lot of money you know i mean surprisingly enough um i think the the budget is da, 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 da. the budget was 154.6 million and it grows three hundred seventy-five point four million, wow. and they still didn't think they made enough money on this. And but. basically, kickstarted the franchise again too, because it was a, in a way, it's sad. It was a dying franchise, and to you know, uh, Chad's point, at one point, because you see it, you're like, oh god, are they going to rebrand? Are they going to redo it, reimagine it? And you get, ugh, you know, you get that, or you get people who don't even know the franchise, are like, oh, I don't really know Mad Max, so maybe I shouldn't watch it because it's not going to make sense, but it's amazing how it pulled in the people who were the fans and then pulled in new people to watch it too, as well. And well, also another thing I would suggest it. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry, Joe. Well, I, I was going to say, I can uh, say another John. Oh, sorry. We keep doing this. I'm sorry. You go <laughs> ahead. Keith. I'm going to, I'm going to shut up. <laughs> well, I was going to sit there and say about George Miller also, as I suggest that if you do like the Mad Max films, you should really experience some other George Miller films as well. Picnic and Hanging Rock, which is a, a classic Australian film about the, how these, true story about how these girls went on a picnic and they disappeared during the Victorian era. No one knows wow. what happened to them to this very day. You picnic have at what? What is it called again? Picnic at Hanging Rock. Okay. There's also um, Gallipoli. If you want to see one of the best war films ever, there's that as well. And of course, the Mad Max. And I mean, even 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 though we do smile and smirk at Happy Feet and Babe, they're fantastic films as well. Yeah, and I, yeah, they are. And that's what I, you know, that's another thing I'd say about George Miller is, is that he's true. He's true to his form, and that's I don't think that he comes out. I will watch, and if he, and if he stays true to his word, I mean, he's getting on an age now, and he's still pumping it out. I think that the only time I would stop watching any of these films of these Mad Max ilk is something happens and he should pass on and he stops do- or he stops doing them and yeah. then someone else takes over it. And then I think that's probably when I would probably pull out. After today's double high octane episode, we hope you have reached your max of listening jubilation. 
But if you still have road rage and need a little more nitro, head on over to our website at llpodcast.com to check out all of our social and podcast platforms, listen to all of our past episodes, become a patron, and sign up for our monthly newsletter to read our reviews of books to screen and everything in between. For our next episode, the team will be continuing their soapy supernatural road trip review of the Dark Shadow series. As always, we'd like to thank you for downloading, liking, and sharing the Literary License Podcast. Until next time, buckle up and stay safe out there, folks. Bye. Well, Breaker 1-9, this here's a rubber duck. You got a copy on me, Big Ben? Come on. Oh, uh, yeah, 10-4, Big Ben, for sure, for sure. By golly, it's clean, clear to Flagtown. Come on. Yeah, that's a big 10-4 there, Big Ben. Yeah, we definitely got the front door, good buddy. Mercy sakes alive, looks like we got us a convoy. It was the dark of the moon on the 6th of June in a Kenworth pulling logs. Cab over Pete with a reefer on and a Jimmy hauling hogs. We is heading for Bear on I-10, about a mile out of Shaky Town. I says, Pig Pen, this here's a rubber duck, and I'm about to put the hammer down. Back off them hogs. Uh, ten four, about five mile or so. Ten roger, them hogs is getting intense up here. By the time we got into Tulsa Town, we had 85 trucks in all. But there's a roadblock up on the cloverleaf, and them bears is wall to wall. Yeah, them smokies as thick as bugs on a bumper. They even had a bear in the air. I says, calling all trucks, this here's the duck. We about to go a hunting bear. Interstate 44 like a rocket sled on rails. We tore up all of our swindle sheets and left them setting on the scales. By the time we hit that shy town, them bears was getting smart. They'd brought up some reinforcements from the Illinois National Guard. There's armored cars and tanks and jeeps and rigs of every size. Yeah, them chicken coops was full of bears and choppers filled the skies. Well, we shot the line, we went for broke with a thousand screaming trucks and eleven long-haired friends of Jesus in a chartreuse microbus. Yeah, rubber duck to Sotbuster, come on there, yeah, ten four Sotbuster. Listen, you want to put that microbus in behind that suicide jockey? Yeah, he's hauling dynamite and he needs all the help he can get. Well, we laid a strip for the Jersey Shore, prepared to cross the line. I could see the bridge was lined with bears, but it didn't have a doggone dime. I says, Pigpen, this here's a rubber duck. We just ain't going to pay no toll. So we crashed the gate doing 98. I says, let them truckers roll 10-4. Cause we got a mighty convoy rocking through the night. Yeah, we got a mighty convoy. Ain't you a beautiful sight? I want to join our Big 
What's your 20? Omaha? Well, they ought to know what's good in them hogs out there for sure. Well, mercy sakes, good buddy. We're going to back on out here, so keep the bugs off your glass and the bears off your...